Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. All right, everyone, welcome back into another live edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. It is back down to two this week. It is Brian Hines and Alex Barth back because a lot of Patriots news to talk about from the last time we spoke uh, on Thursday where... You know, we hit all of our shrine, our Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl stuff last week, so now we are back to the Patriots and their coaching staff in the front office because a lot is going on. So we'll start with the news of the hour that just kind of came across our desk right before we went live here, and it is Jerry Montgomery, who the team is hiring or reportedly hiring as their defensive line coach. He was with the Packers since 2015, I believe, the last like eight or nine seasons, yeah. worked mostly along that defensive line, defensive side of the ball. So that was a, a coaching spot they needed to fill, as it was uh, DeMarcus Covington. He obviously got elevated to defensive coordinator. So it will go to Jerry Montgomery, and it's another one of these former Packers coaches who has ties to Elliot Wolf and Alex Van Pelt and some of these guys who look like they're leading kind of the charge there. And initially that was all. And and I mean, I don't have, I don't know if you have extensive thoughts on Montgomery, Brian, for me, the one interesting thing is that he was a run game coordinator the last few years, defensive run game coordinator. You see that more on offense than on defense, obviously. So part of what they're going to have to work with, uh, you know, DeMarcus Covington and Mayo is there, there was so much, there was such a good job of the communication marrying up the front seven and the back end under the previous uh, coaching staff that being able to do replicate that is going to be key. So Montgomery was a defensive front assistant. He was a run game coordinator. So although he's a defensive line coach, I mean, maybe not so much corner safeties are a big part of the run game and corners can be a part of the run game too, setting the edge in certain situations. So you have a guy here who has experience at all three levels on the defense, at least putting a game plan together. So that, that does I don't know if that makes him a home run high or not. I don't necessarily have a, a huge take on him other than we we saw the Packers influence kind of starting. It started with Van Pelt, and then we heard about Ben McAdoo, who we can get to. And it's like, all right, I remember my first thought that night when the McAdoo thing broke was, this is just going to be on the offensive side of the ball? Apparently not, because here comes Jerry Montgomery as, as the defensive line coach. So as the Patriots continue to, to fill this out, I think you keep looking at uh, you keep looking at that Packers tree and who can they get and can they maybe go poach? I know he wasn't a coach in Green Bay. Can they go poach Al Harris from Dallas to come here and coach cornerbacks or something? Yeah, it's a good point with Montgomery because if you have Mayo and Covington leading the charge, those are two guys who have, have their experience in the the front seven, right? The linebackers and the defensive line. So and they've been here a while, so you you figure they would know the system. But you want someone who can coach up the secondary. And whether it's you know we still are waiting on Mike Pellegrino, we're still waiting on Brian Belichick, Steve Belichick. We can also talk about he is gone. He went to the University of Washington as the defensive coordinator under Jed Fish, who worked here in, in 2020 as the quarterback coach. So and they also held you know interviews with a guy like Christian Parker, who's a defensive backs coach in Denver. So that secondary still kind of needs to be filled out. We'll see how that goes. But if you have a guy with some experience doing the whole defense, even as a run game coordinator, uh, that's some added added value there. But yeah, it's like the big thing with all these is just back to that Packers influence. And it really kind of puts it like Elliot Wolf, who was there, really grew up in, in Green Bay. He's only been here since 2020, I believe, the last Sounds three- about right last three or four years so his big influence has come in green bay and now he's you know bringing all these guys with him it kind of seems like yeah i really think and i know that i was getting some questions about this today the last couple days um that you know who's the gm gonna be i i still would not be surprised if there's no title gm the patriots that they haven't had a title gm since billy sullivan owned the team 1989 it was his son uh patrick was, was the last you know, person to hold that title in New England. Uh, they've divided the role a little differently. It's not totally out of left field. There are other teams that sort of operate this way. Um, the Niners do. They have a titled GM, obviously, in John Lynch, but he has some other titles as well. Their distribution of, of assignments is, is divided a little bit differently. So, like, it can work. The point being, I, I don't, 
if the Patriots don't end up publicly naming a GM, don't be surprised. It, it, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing in the world. It's just something they don't do. All those jobs are still being done. They just divide them a little bit differently. And it sounds like, so in the past, it, it was basically Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick handled the big picture GM stuff and whether it was Nick Casario, Macro, whoever over that time basically did the day-to-day and would go to Bill with like the findings and Bill would, would make the call as the GM. What it, it's starting to sound like now is Elliot Wolf is essentially your final say guy. And we've talked a lot about that. The GM title is a title. It holds weight, but you can still get all the functions of a general manager done without assigning that title. It's just a title. The final say, who has final say when you're in the room and 10 people want to do option A and 10 people want to do option B, who's the guy that gets to say, nope, we're doing it. Yeah, I'm the tie-breaking vote, right? I, my vote counts as two. I have final say on this. That's the one that ultimately matters. Now, we may never find that out because that's not a title you give somebody that's not going to be listed on you know, the staff directory or anything. But it feels like between the adding of coaches and some of the reporting that came out of the Senior Bowl, I, I almost feel like Elliot Wolf is your new final say guy. It's, it definitely feels like it's trending that way. And maybe Matt Groh is handling some of the more ground level general manager duties, some of the more player personnel duties, right? At the, at the senior bowl, scouting prospects, meeting with prospects, Cameron Williams as well in that regard. But I believe it was reported that that grow was kind of leading the Patriots contingent of seven or eight scouts down there at the senior bowl. And they'll bring all their findings back to Matt grow and, you know, they'll discuss it. We've heard collaborative effort and maybe all three of them agree on one thing, but it sounds like Matt Groh is going to be the guy that ultimately, when it comes down to it, if they need a tie-breaking vote, it's him. Wolf, you mean? Wolf, yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. It sounds like Wolf. Uh, uh, four-letter last names. Yeah. It's. It sounds yeah. like uh, uh, Wolf is going to be the one. You know, at, at least. And who knows? Maybe they split it up. Maybe Wolf has final say for the coaching staff. Grow has final say for player acquisition. That would be weird because you want it all picked with one vision. But it certainly feels like it's trending this way that. Um, that that wolf is going to have final say or at least has final say right now that's what it looks like well we, we should have that title like elliot wolf final say haver or something like that that would be a that would be a good addition to the website and the front office staff there but uh yeah that's how it looks with these coaching staff hires all coming from green bay um again jerry montgomery looks like the defensive line coach but we can go to the offensive side of the ball because the news broke on Alex Van Pelt Thursday when we were live on here. So you right. got kind of our raw instant reaction. I don't know now that you've had a kind of a weekend to digest it or, or four, three, four days here, how are you feeling on the hire? And then how are you thinking about, you know, Ben McAdoo? That was the one from over the weekend. Looks like he might be an addition on that staff. I, I forget. Did they say a title? Was it was like offensive analyst or? It was, I think it was assistant head coach. We'll, we'll get to McAdoo. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll get to McAdoo. Uh, we'll start, with, start with Van Pelt. Yeah. After a weekend of kind of digesting this, where are you at with the whole Alex Van Pelt hire? I... I don't want to say it doesn't move the needle because they hired an offensive coordinator and I have to have some sort of, you can't just be like, oh, whatever they hired an offensive coordinator. But like I, there, I, I feel like the, 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 the pros and cons, the risks and rewards kind of balance out with a guy like him. I think he, he designed a great offense in Cleveland. And I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, people who don't like the hire will be quick to say, Oh, well, Stefanski called the place, right? That's not all an offense coordinator does. If, if it was, why was AVP there? He designed the offense. He was in charge. He, you know, the offensive coordinator generally oversees implementing that offense. That's not just big picture. That's not just at the start of the season, but week to week, he's putting the game plan together. And all right, this week we want to feature this, or we want to try to attack this, or we think we have a mismatch here, right? Yada, yada, yada. That's the kind of stuff he was doing. And then he basically gives it all to Stefanski on Sunday and says, here's the the blueprint go for it it's basically the setup Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick had on the defensive side of the ball here for a few years so Stefanski you know the play calling helped I'm not going to say that that Van Pelt gets all the credit but it was a well-designed well thought thought out offense I thought he did a really good job of taking the players he had and maximizing their skill sets which used to be a specialty here and has been a bit of a weakness the last few years he's also a quarterback's guy He's been around good quarterbacks. He has a lot of experience working with quarterbacks. He played quarterback in the league. 
I, I like all of that. You know, the lack of play calling experience, it's not none. He called plays for the Bills a year, albeit more than 10 years ago. But, you know, the play calling experience is a question. How is that going to impact his overall approach? And there is play calling is a skill. You can put together a great game plan. If you don't call the plays right within that game plan, it doesn't really matter. I think Josh McDaniels would fall into that trap from time to time here in New England during his tenure. I think we all, you knew when it was going to be one of those games. You would know early on it was, oh, Josh, is, he's overthinking it. Um, so the, the play calling thing I wonder about, what is his real offensive identity? Like it is West coast. It's not Shanahan, but it's West coast, but he's been in a different couple of different places. It's looked a little bit different. And then there's his fit with different quarterbacks. Part of the reason I think it didn't ultimately work out for him in Cleveland. And this was more of a 2022 thing than a 23 thing, but it continued into 23. They didn't use Deshaun Watson as a runner as impactfully as they probably could have or should have. So if you're going to draft a guy like Jane Daniels, look, I've sat here and said, Jane Daniels makeup goes well beyond his legs. He, he's a much better thrower than people realize, and he can make plays throwing the football, but his legs are also a big part of who he is. And you can't draft him and not make his legs a part of who he is. So how does that fit? Uh, you know, with Drake may, is he good? What kind of, he, he, he coached Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is already somewhat established. Is he going to have the patience for a guy like Drake May, who is a little Aaron Rodgers-ish, but does get loose with the football at times. How does he fit with Mac Jones? I think some of his core philosophies would be great for Mac Jones. I think the use of under center play action, dating back to Evan being the host of this show, I've been saying they should do more under center play action with Mac Jones and, and take advantage of his skills in that situation. But it's also a more vertical offense as opposed to horizontal, or at least it was in Cleveland. Does does Mac Jones have what it takes to be that kind of primarily vertical passer? So those are all questions that are going to have to be answered. And I, what I hope, and we've talked we talked about this in the context of last year's coaching staff. I hope they don't tell Van Pelt, "Hey, we're giving you Jaden Daniels, or you're you're sticking with Mac Jones, or we're taking Marvin Harrison third, or we're taking a quarterback third, or we're taking Joel." Like he should have a say in this. I'm not saying give him the draft board. That's not no. what I'm saying, but. He should have a say in it and he should be able to run the system how he wants to run it. And there's probably going to be overlap from Cleveland. There should be some new things. One more thing I'll kind of add on this, and this isn't necessarily a risk or a reward, a pro or a con with, with Van Pelt. I think it's just things that need to happen now because he's here. And I said, we don't really know what his offense will be, but there's some core tenants to it. You need to be able to block. You need to be able to block to run any offense, but especially this that's going to be so play-action heavy, which means more time in the drop back, and it's a very complex run game. You need offensive linemen that can handle multiple assignments. You need to be able to block this. That means they need to make the investments in tackles. You can't come back next year with the equivalent of, of Calvin Anderson and Riley Reef. Like you got to have true starting tackles to run this thing, and they have to figure it out at tight end. And I don't even know that that means bringing Hunter Henry back because, I again, the run element in this offense, the check and release element, you want a well-rounded tight end. You want – David Njoku's hardly a tackle, but if you need him to set a block, he'll set a block. He's not going to, you know, big rack guy, up pancakes. Guy, yeah. Right. He he has the strength and the power. Can they go get their David Njoku this offseason? And really a guy, I think, that fits a similar profile, uh, an elite athlete uh, kind of tight end. I think you do those two things, whatever happens at quarterback, whatever happens with the rest of the offense, those two things will be monumentally helpful to allowing Van Pelt to execute the offense he wants to execute. An offensive line, you need the tackles, obviously, but you need right. an offensive line coach because yeah. It, so, okay, so that was worked, the other thing. Yeah, it worked very well. You know, Cleveland had a great run game, and it is a pretty diverse run scheme that AVP runs there. But they also had Bill Callahan coaching it up who's like one of the best offensive line coaches you know he's maybe like scar level or a step or two below scar he was really good so you need a, a good offensive line coach to be in there to coach these guys up and they interviewed is it was it andy dickerson is it yeah last name was dickerson i think andy dickerson name. yep andy dickerson that was their top target came out Thursday who he's been with the Rams. He's been with Seattle. Seems like he's had some success. He's got offensive coordinator interviews this 
this past off season. So it seems like a, a pretty well-respected guy. So that seems like it, it would be a good hire, but yeah, that offensive line coach too, you, you need the players, you need the tackles. Uh, the, the coach is a big part of that. So we'll see how they fill that out and, and tight end. Yeah. Watching some of these Cleveland games, it's like David Njoku's hitting explosives, like every, every right. player two through the air. So that's definitely a position that we knew they were going to have to address it because all of their guys are free agents, but now maybe is trading back and taking Brock Bowers in play. That might be a little too rich, but is someone like Jatavion Sanders from Texas in play, you know, round two, trade up in round three, or, you know, something along those lines. Does tight end kind of shoot up your draft board with one of those top two guys maybe uh, come April to get that explosive guy who could be your David Njoku in this offense? It definitely does. I'll give you one more name. And he had a down year last year, and it's probably going to piss people off, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Um, Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper is a pending free agent. He's only 29. He'll be 30 in October. So it'll be uh, his age 29 season, technically. Was he in Cleveland with them? He was in Cleveland the first two years. He had a really good year with him uh, his first year in Cleveland. It was cut short due to injury, so the numbers aren't gaudy, but the, the per game numbers look good. Uh, that's a guy I wonder if they go out and, and pursue. I could see that. This was a, another one someone just brought up in the chat. Kyle Pitts. I wonder yeah, if I mean. Would become available. I mean, did you see Raheem Morris's press conference today? They're like, no. what do you like about the offense? And he said Drake London and Bijan Robinson. So everyone was making fun of Kyle Pitts because he's going to be a lost cause again. But What would you have to give up for Kyle Pitts? I mean, if Atlanta's looking to move up for a quarter and say the Patriots aren't set on taking a quarterback number three, what are, what are they eight? Could you move back and pick up another pick in Kyle Pitts? Could that be in the equation? Unless they feel they want a quarterback, then yeah, yeah could. That, that would be the, if the, like if the Patriots don't want a quarterback at three, for whatever reason, you could right. move back. Maybe Atlanta wants to come up, draft Jaden Daniels. You'll say we'll take eight and 40, whatever. And Kyle Pitts for three. 840 and Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I consider that. The other thing you could do is kind of the trade you just named, uh, but do it in the second round. True. So would you trade? I'm trying to find uh uh like 34. Yeah, and... I'm trying to find the draft order. Hang on. Um I don't know, I can't find it. Here it is. So you trade 34 for 43 in Pitts. Yeah, I would Did do I get that, that right. Yeah, 34 for 43 in pits. Yeah. I would definitely entertain that. Yeah. I would maybe love you Kyle give up Pitts like a future it. third or something, probably yeah. to get it done. Yeah, think- Kyle Pitts would be a great fit for what Alexander Pell wants to do. Yeah. I definitely agree there. So yeah, tight end definitely it was a need, but it definitely shoots up the board uh potentially there because that's such a big piece of his offense. And you know, we'll we'll see what this offense looks like, right? You can watch it throughout all of his stops, but we're not going to see how it completely comes together until, I don't know, we get on the practice fields in spring, and, and even then we won't really see how it really wants to unfold uh, until training camp in, in the summer. But based off what he's done the last few years in Cleveland and Green Bay, it looks like that, that position is going to be a, a big part of that. But going back to the quarterbacks very quickly, you mentioned Jaden Daniels, Drake May, is there one of those guys or maybe now you're looking at a guy in round two or, you know, is there one quarterback in this draft that you're kind of like, that's the guy to that I want for this offense. If I had my choice, I, I still think no half measures. No. Oh, but we're going to kind of build around the quarterback position, but we're also going to kind of add a quarterback. No, you're either taking the quarterback at three and building around that guy from there, or you're, you're building around potentially, saving Mac Jones and you're taking, maybe you take a quarterback later on day three, like later on day three, not even Spencer Rattler. I'm talking about like um, uh, Bradley. What's his first name? Carter Bradley, Carter Bradley. Yeah. Um, One or the other. I I, I don't think you can split hairs with it. Even if you are thinking, yeah, we like this quarterback, you know, at the end of the second or early in the second, you trade up, take him in the first round because you need to get him on that fifth year option. That's so, so important. So, I, I, none of the none of the quarterbacks outside of the top three have really wowed me. I mean, people know I like Michael Penix, but I still just don't. I, I think he's going to go in the top twenty. 
I don't love Bo Nix. I don't love J.J. McCarthy. I think that's a lateral move. I think you're adding another sort of Mac Jones-ish quarterback to the room with a premium pick when you could be improving the offense elsewhere. I, If you're not going quarterback at the top of the draft, then you just build up the rest of the roster. And because, because so what? So if, if you take a quarterback in the second round, you're tied to him for two or three years. If he's not the guy, Mac Jones's contract is going to expire. Like, what are you, you, you suddenly put yourself in this really weird mix where you're going to need to add a quarterback, but you can't do it. So I just think if, if you believe in the guy, take him at the top of the draft. If you don't believe in one of the quarterbacks, just try to see if you can make it work with Mac Jones. And I, I they, I don't think they couldn't. Like, I don't think that, they, they, I don't think it's completely unrealistic. And then if not, then, well, then you hope it's bad enough that you're picking back in the top five next year and you get a shot at Quinn Ewers or, uh, but do you think uh, they'll Sherry even, Anders. they can even give them the chance to like, you think they could put Mac Jones back on the field next year if they build up the roster around them? Like, Putting Mac think- Jones, keeping, sticking with Mac Jones, who's on a one-year deal and you can easily move on from, as opposed to burning a premium asset on Bo Nix. But it, what if it's just signing Jacoby Brissett for a year and drafting Carter Bradley in the sixth round? Oh, yeah, I guess maybe. It, well, well, that do what you want in free agency. I don't, if, if it's Jacoby Brissett, fine. Or you can be a Mac Jones kind of guy, I guess, uh, in that point. I just, I, y- you can't burn a premium pick on a quarterback you don't fully believe in. Yeah. And the reality is if you're taking a quarterback in the second or third round, you don't fully believe in him. Because if you did, you would have taken him in the first. So either take your guy with conviction or build up the rest of the roster. You don't need to do, I always go back to Jimmy Clausen. The Panthers needed a quarterback. They didn't really like any of them that year. They took Jimmy Clausen in the second round. They blew a premium pick. And I got to remind myself who went after Jimmy Clausen. It was a bunch of good players. They took Jimmy Clausen in the second round, benched him for a year. And then the next year they're picking uh, Cam Newton. Obviously you look at the guys who went like very shortly after Jimmy Clausen or actually so, Oh, no, this is why this one's in my head. They traded back uh, with the Patriots who moved up and took Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> uh, Carlos Dunlap, Sean Lee, Golden Tate, Brandon Spikes went shortly after as well for a guy that was n- never going to see the field for them. Don't do that. Don't, oh, hey, we drafted a quarterback. We drafted Bo Nix. Here we go. It's not Mac Jones. At some point, don't draft a guy because he's not Mac Jones. That's why you sign a guy. That's why you sign Jacoby Brissett. That's why you sign Jameis Winston. They're not signing Baker. It's not happening. We can put that to bed. I've said this before. If the Bucks let Baker out the building, everybody should be fired. Everybody. So if we get to that point, we can revisit it. I'd be in on Baker. But you don't draft a quarterback with a top 100 pick simply because he's not Mac Jones. Or in the case of Bo Nix, he's not Mac Jones. But, I mean, he kind of is. So I, at that point, just stick with Mac Jones or go get a bridge veteran. I have no interest in half measures of quarterback. That's how you spin in circles. That's how you become a perpetual seven and 10 team. Yeah, no, I I agree. If that's the path though, I'm just, I'm going bridge quarterback and I'm probably just trading Mac. I don't think you can. I'm not, I'm not taking a bridge. The the worst thing you can do though is draft a bridge quarterback. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not drafting a bridge. I'm signing like Jacoby Brissett for a year and doing that route. I'm not drafting like Bo Nix and, the third or the second round just to say you drafted a quarterback but if it comes down to like a one-year bridge that you're signing or mac jones i'm probably taking the bridge guy just i don't think you can run mac jones back out there i don't know what that would say to the locker room and to the defense guys like juan bentley and jonathan jones and i don't even know if he'd be a great fit in this offense and again maybe the offense changes a little bit but you want a guy who can move around in the pocket run some of these bootlegs and push the ball downfield that just doesn't really scream like mac jones's game i get some of the under center play action stuff would be good but the mobility and you know attacking vertically just doesn't really scream like his game so again if it's not drafting a quarterback third to be the guy i would take a bridge guy uh sign a bridge guy and then probably trade mac for whatever you can get, fifth, sixth round pick, uh, I'd go that route. Yeah, I, I, I get. I just, I, if you want to do that, fine. I just think drafting quarterbacks in the second and third round is yeah. is so useless. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm still in drafting one third overall. If the right. one one you like is there, but 
Uh, let's take a very quick break. We can hear from our friends over at FanDuel, and then we have some more coaches and some more some other moves to continue to talk about here. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today and you get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, so another coach who might be joining the staff here is Ben McAdoo, former Giants head coach. Uh, Albert Breer reported on Saturday that they were Patriots were in talks to add him to their offensive staff to play, likely play an assistant head coach type of role and help Alex Van Pelt on that side of the ball. Seems like you have some thoughts on Ben McAdoo over there. Yeah, what do you I, got? <laughs> so we talked a lot about them adding, you know, a former head coach, somebody with experience on the offensive side of the ball to help Gerard Mayo. I don't know. I, I, I'd hoped they'd aim a little higher than Ben McAdoo. We talked about Frank Reich as a potential candidate. We talked, who was, there was one other guy we talked about in that regard. And I can't remember who it was, not Josh McDaniels. It was somebody else, but um, look, I get it. There's a level of familiarity there. I guess if McAdoo is just around to answer questions, you know, find whatever. I I don't want him on the the positional coaching staff. You know, I don't want him as the quarterbacks coach. I don't want him as any of that. I don't want him as like the new Matt Patricia, which he will turn into if this team is bad. Um, if he's there as a resource, like a senior advisor, whatever. But it just it wasn't good. It wasn't good with him in New York, and uh, even you know the other year, uh, not last year, twenty two when he was with Carolina as their offensive coordinator, it was kind of a mess as he tried to navigate Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and all those other guys. They never got it figured out at quarterback, which is something the Patriots need to do. We kind of oversaw the end of Eli in New York. He was the quarterback's coach for that disastrous Jaguar season in 2020. And then last year in Carolina, this is not a guy that has a good history with quarterbacks short of, yeah, he was kind of there early, not at the beginning, but early in Aaron Rodgers' career. I don't want him anywhere near the quarterback decision. I don't want him anywhere near the quarterback room. If he's around to just kind of be like, hey, when you were a head coach, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? Fine, whatever. I don't want him near the quarterbacks. Yeah. All for adding, again, like an experienced, a guy who was a head coach to help a first-year head coach along. But right. And a, a, a true like first time play caller like McAdoo was yeah. experienced calling plays, but like yeah, the assistant head coach. I don't know if he'd get that title, but that type of role, like, what is that gonna? Is that like you said? Is that just gonna become Matt Patricia in, in kind of a weird way? And I don't know how I feel about Ben McAdoo in, in that so, type of role. So as crazy as this sounds, the most valuable resource I think McAdoo could be, and I, I do actually think there's value in this. He replaced Tom Coughlin in New York. Now, Tom Coughlin's obviously not Bill Belichick, but Tom Coughlin's not exactly an easy guy to replace either. Longtime head coach, multiple Super Bowl championships, you know, revered by the fan base, the staff, everybody. Like, that was big shoes to fill. Now, he didn't fill them well. He got let go late in his second year, but he's – kind there aren't that many people that have been in this situation of replacing a legend like because there's not that many legends if there was there way they wouldn't be legends so McAdoo has experience in that regard and that may actually be value because I do think part of what's going to be hard not just for Mayo but for Covington uh for a lot of guys is just replacing Bill Belichick 
like being the next guy, the next guys after Bill Belichick. May was the head coach. Covington is the defensive coordinator. Obviously, Belichick didn't work on the offensive side of the ball, but that element of it, that's where I, I wonder if McAdoo has some value. That's it. Don't need him with the quarterbacks. Don't need him with the offensive line. Go get real. Like, so McAdoo got let go by the Giants in 2017. He was out of the league for two years, came back in 2020, was like sort of out of the league in 21. He was a consultant for the Giants, which maybe that's what his role is here. And if that's the case, okay. Went to the Panthers in OC in 22 and then was out of the league again last year. This is a guy that has not been able to stay in the league. I would not give him any kind of true, you know, hands-on day-to-day responsibility. Yep. And, and maybe, you know, he could help. You got three first-time not three first-time coordinators because Alex Van Pelt's been a coordinator, but he's never called plays before. But maybe just help, you know, sideline operations or or something on like game day. Just to I don't know how you get you can't get that experience unless you go through it. So having someone who's been you know a head coach on a sideline and gone through that, maybe that could help. But we'll see. They they only said they were in talks. It's never been officially confirmed that he's been added to the staff here, but. Uh, we'll, we'll see on McAdoo. Was there any other coaches? There's been so many names thrown out. I think anyone that's that we, it. Anything that we missed? Oh, Vinny Sinceri, running backs coach. He went with Steve to Washington. Uh, finally gets to go back to the – you're muted. I don't know. Oh. oh. Am I back? Yeah, you're back now. All right. Uh, Steve in Washington is really interesting. Yeah. Steve in Washington is going to be uh, – that will be fun to watch him, him – at the college level, they got some fun players on that side of the ball. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Yep, that, that'll be fun to see. And then, yeah, Vinny, running backs coach, he he left back to the defense side of the ball where he you know he played and he started his coaching career. So Patriots will need a new running backs coach as well. Um, I'm blanking on the guy from the Browns. Stump something. I forget his last name, but he, yeah, the he, guy they let go. Yeah, he was seemed like a really respected running backs coach who just worked with uh, AVP in, in Cleveland the last few years. So that could be an easy connection to make, but uh, just something else to watch for over these next you know few days is they they'll need a new running backs coach. I'll give you one more, and this one might be a little more tricky. Edgar Bennett was the receivers coach in Green Bay there for Stub Mitchell. There you go. Uh, Edgar Bennett was the receivers coach in Green Bay with that staff. He's now currently in Vegas and he's been there since 2018. But you look at the receivers the Packers have had and then the Raiders have had the last few years. I'd give him a call. You know, Vegas, they new offensive coordinator coming in, new staff. Maybe he's on the outside looking in. If they're going to get somebody off that Green Bay staff, uh, Edgar Bennett's a guy I'd call. And Chad O'Shea could be a name. I know Mike Reese said like he's pretty friendly with, uh, AVP so and Troy Brown is is an under contract so you need a wide receivers coach that one would be tricky because I think uh Chad O'Shea has the wide receivers coach and pass game coordinator title for the Browns so you would need to come up with something so you could take kind of a lateral move there uh not necessarily though I mean is is Dorsey gonna bring him back that's also true because he just came in today right so he could kind of let go some of some of right. those staff members and, and maybe Chad O'Shea comes available and, and comes back here as the wide receivers coach. So uh, they still have some, some work to do filling out that coaching staff, but uh, we're getting the, the beginning of it again, lots of, lots of green Bay, former green Bay, former Browns coaches who, who have been with Elliot Wolf. So it, it's all coming together there, but uh, we can transition to talk a little bit more about Elliot Wolf and the front office because Macro Cam Williams down at the Senior Bowl talked with Evan uh, last week about some of their philosophies, how they starting to kind of put this board together, their draft board, and bring it back to you know Wolf and AVP and start setting the board together for this draft that they have the number three pick in. So, what was kind of your biggest takeaways from what those guys had to say to Evan again on Patriots.com. So I think the big, the big quote in there, and it's kind of glass half full, glass half empty. How do you feel about it? Right. The big quote is from Cameron Williams, uh, which is, and I got to find it here. Here it is. Uh, There's a couple good positions in this draft. Quarterbacks are pretty deep tackles, pretty deep. So it's probably different avenues to make our team better based on 
what's available in the draft. So he mentions quarterbacks and tackles. He does not mention wide receivers. So remember like the, the, the dress, was it black and blue or white and gold? And it was all about how you saw it. I feel like this is one of those, at least for the time being. So does he only, he mentions quarterbacks and tackles. So some people will say a draft is deep just by saying, or, or that's how they say it's good. It's a deep draft means it's a good draft at that position. They're not necessarily implying depth. Depth can also be relative. It can be first round depth. It can be full, full right uh, draft depth. So the question is, what does the word deep mean here? Because if he's using deep just to mean it's a good draft at those positions and he leaves out wide receiver, that's notable. Maybe they're not thinking about wide receiver as much as we thought they were, at least in the draft. Maybe it's more of a free agency or trade thing. At the same time, if he's using deep in the true meaning, like, hey, there's seven rounds of good players here. I'm not saying they're going to, you know, wait to the seventh to take a tackler quarterback. But is he saying, yeah, there's depth at quarterback, there's depth at tackle. We can wait until the second or third round to take those guys. It's not the case at wide receiver. Now, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think wide receiver is the deepest position in this draft, which makes the quote all that more confusing. But it's it's all about how you read it. Is the exclusion of wide receivers the notable part? Or is it him talking about the depth of the two positions, quarterback and tackle, and not mentioning the depth of wide receiver? So did you read it one way or the other? Or I initially read it as they like the quarterbacks and the tackles. And that's and then you had the report from Jeff Howe on I think Sunday that yep. they're thinking about going tackle with three. So that kind of reinforces that. But the more I look at it, it's like one of those pictures where the more you look at it, the more you see different things. I'm like, maybe he does mean depth. Maybe he does mean that they can get those guys later. So I, I'm going back and forth on it. I think gut instinct, they like the quarterback and tackle. Those are the two positions they're truly focused on. But because you got to remember, if it's Wolf who has final say, what did Green Bay never do for years and years and years? It became a major sticking point with Aaron Rodgers. They never they, got him as receivers. They never drafted pass catchers high. I mean, so you go back, or what What years was Wolf there again? Uh, I know he was 2014 to 2017, but I, I, that was just looking like he overlapped with all these guys, but I think he extended well, but, even beyond that. Okay, so we'll start when he becomes the assistant director of pro pers- uh, of player personnel, which is in 2011. And this is a time when the Packers need wide receivers. Um, they held that role, I think, until it was 2018. So they take Randall Cobb in the second round of 2011. After that, See, they take Eddie Lacy in the in the second round, 2013, not a receiver. They take Devontae Adams in the second round in 2014. They take Ty Montgomery in the third in 2015. Nothing, nothing, whole lot of defense, and then that's it. That's it for when Wolf was there. So they took a couple of day two guys, but they didn't take receivers early. They really didn't take tackles early either. Now I'm going through this. They took all defensive players, which I don't think is going to happen, but... They, they they didn't need tackles. They had good tackles. They had a good offensive line during that time. They didn't have good receivers, and they chose to invest more on day two and day, on day two during that time when Wolf was there. That doesn't mean it was Wolf doing it, but this is who we learned from. This is how he came up. So you put all that together, and I, look, I know they didn't draft a quarterback here. They didn't need one. You put all that together, maybe that's just not his strategy. Maybe first round, round wide receivers is not Elliott Wolf's strategy. He's more of a day two receiver guy, which, by the way, is not a bad thing in this draft. We saw at the Senior Bowl how those guys tore it up. Those are third-round picks. The second-round picks weren't even there. A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy. This is a really good draft to get a receiver on day two. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. So that's, I, I don't know, that's how I read it. That's when you yep. put it all together. Not that one quote. But when you put all the quotes together, there's some other interesting ones, and I wrote about it on 98.5thesportsclub.com. There were some other interesting quotes from, from Grow. Uh, and over the weekend that you put with Wolf and you put with what, what Williams said, and it's okay. Yeah. I, I, they may be waiting on receiver. Well, grow talked about like the explosive players, which is, I think he specifically said, I have a quote right here. He so said, that's you, the one that counters it. Yeah. Go ahead. So read he, the quote. He said, you need to have explosive players. You look at the teams that are playing deep into the playoffs and they have explosive players, whether that's on the perimeter or the backfield or the tight end position. The quickest way to score points is through explosive plays. You get that by having explosive players and somebody you can get those somebody who can get those guys the ball. 
So it kind of added the like the quarterback position too at, at the end of that. But I know everyone ran and, and immediately just said, oh, you need fast guys. They put that quote back out there. But that was the counter where you hear Williams talk about quarterbacks and tackles. You look at Gro's history. Like you mentioned, doesn't draft these guys. Now Gro is back again saying you need these explosive playmakers. And you've talked about it and wrote about it before how he, he – you know the the breadcrumb trails that he's talked to us very right. briefly. How he seems to value the wide receiver position. That seems like something grow, grow might be more focused on. Well, so he said this last year. With any of these positions, certainly at a playmaker position, there's a price you have to pay for these guys. Whether that's allocating cap space or allocating a high draft pick to be aggressive if you want those dynamic playmakers, you have to pay the price for them. That's what he said last year. You add that to the explosive playmaker quote this year. There is one part of that quote, though, that I, I do nitpick. And again, maybe I'm reading too far into it, but he says, you look at the teams playing deep into the playoffs and they have explosive players. OK, let's call deep in the playoffs the final four. I think that's fair, right? Yep. 49ers. Who are the 49ers top playmakers around the quarterback? McCaffrey, Debo, Trent George Williams. Kittle. Trent so, so playmaker, skill position players. Okay, yeah. And, and, and you hit on the big three. Debo, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey. None of those guys were acquired with a first-round pick. McCaffrey was a first-round pick, Ayuk, but not by the Niners. He was trading. Ayuk was a late first-rounder. And he's like their fourth or fifth best player. Yep. Uh, the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> third, what is it? Third-round pick, fourth-round pick. They invested. Invest, they invest. He wasn't a first-round pick. No, was he was he? like a third, wasn't he? Yeah. Instead, they invested all those assets in the offensive line. You could argue they went too far in the other direction, investing in the offensive line, but the Chiefs made it work with Isaiah Pacheco's like a seventh-round pick. Like, I wanted the Patriots to take him yeah. so bad. That one's still... But Isaiah Pacheco, late-round pick. Rasheed Rice, I think day two pick. Uh, the Yes, the Lions have Jameer Gibbs, who's one of their top playmakers who they took in the first round, but that came a year after they took Amon Ross St. Brown their best skill position player in the fourth round. The Ravens, again, Zay Flowers was a first round pick, but who's their top playmaker when everybody's healthy? Mark Andrews, third round pick. They also have, I think Rashad Bateman was a first round pick, but he was late. Yeah, he was um, a late first. Odell Beckham, they signed. Isaiah likely has been a good player for them. They got him later. So if we're basing it on the teams that were playing late in the playoffs, three of those teams took their quarterback in the first round. And most of them chose to invest in the offensive line over investing in the skill positions. And they didn't get good skill position players because they invested overly heavily. I mean, look, second, third round picks, but it's as much about hitting on the guy as it is about just drafting him high. And on the flip side of it, and I've talked about, I like the second and third round wide receiver talent in this class. It's not just close your eyes and throw a dart. And whoever he takes is going to be good. You got to draft the right guy. You got to develop him. You got to put him in the right spot. All of that. But Marvin Harrison Jr., I, I, I'll be red in the face saying this. Incredible player. Not the only great receiver in this draft. There are multiple all-pro receivers in this draft. I believe it. You just got to find a right one and get them and develop them. So if you're the Patriots and you're modeling it after the Niners or you're modeling it after the Chiefs or the two Super Bowl teams, they're not using first-round picks on receivers. They're using first-round picks on linemen. After having used first-round picks on quarterbacks, they are identifying and developing skill position talent on day two. And that is what I think the Patriots, and it, it's going to scare the crap out of people because they hear that and they think Tyquan Thornton and they think Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene. I get it, but you, you can't, you can't draft afraid. You can't be like, well, Tyquan Thornton didn't work out two years ago, so we can never take a day two receiver again. You can't, that can't be the approach. That can't be the mentality. You got to go at this it. Year. Especially with the, with this year. Especially this year. Find the right guy and then develop him properly. And that's how you get your Amon Ross St. Brown, your Rasheed Rice, your, and maybe I'm being a little much here, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, right? That's how these teams have built. You look at the teams that are taking receiver high, they're not having the same kind of success. And the receivers drafted higher, not having the kind of way. I mean, this has been a thing for years. Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, all these the, the, the great receivers, Chad Johnson, that we watched growing up. And even now, they don't win Super Bowls. They don't. 
It's about build, getting the quarterback and building through the offensive line and then identifying either on day two in the draft or in free agency or in the trade market, identifying those guys. Somebody asked in the chat about double dipping at wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you take two guys, it doubles your chances at hitting on one of them. Now, don't just blindly take two to take two. Again, identification is a big part of this. And maybe you don't believe in them to do that. And I understand why you don't, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. That's that's where I go from that quote is you do have to pay a premium for these guys. I, I'm not saying you're going to find Debo Samuel in the sixth or seventh round. That's not going to happen. But you can get true, immediate impact, playmaking wide receivers. Patriots fans love them some George Pickens, who I think is overrated. But Patriots fans love them some George Pickens. Day two. Day two. Like, you can go get that guy. You can go get a Tank Dell. I mean, Malachi, Brown. Malachi Corley gets Debo Samuel comps, and he's like a projected third-round pick. Exactly. Right and that, like, he's not going to be Debo Samuel day one, but he's going to be a, a useful player. That He actually, I mean, he's a little bit smaller, but he reminds me a little bit of Puka Nakua, yeah. who, again, you look at the, the Rams. I, that, that's the per, I can't believe it took me this long to get to Puka Nakua. <laughs> they watched the, he tested poorly at the Combine, so he fell, and he had some injury problems in college. But they went and they looked at his like testing numbers, like the zebra testing numbers. They looked at the film. They identified the player. They then developed him properly. They put him in a role where he could succeed. And look, look at what happened. Like that's what the Patriots need to be trying to do at receiver and tight end. Because you can't do that at quarterback. There's such little evidence of being, I don't know if there's any evidence of being able to do that at quarterback in the last five or six years. Brock Purdy is the one exception, but when you have the kind of talent on offense around Brock Purdy, you can get away with it. The Patriots don't have that talent. There's very little evidence. There's no evidence you can do that at quarterback. There's very little evidence you can do it at tackle. There is more evidence you can do it at receiver and sort of at tight end. So that's just, I, again, I think that's where you you have to believe in yourself to do that. Whether you struck out, I don't care about, well, Nikhil here was a first-round pick, but for all the Tyquan Thorntons that have happened in the second round, you still got to keep trying because that's the way these teams that are playing late into the season are doing it. Yeah. I mean, they even got Demario Douglas sixth round last year, right? Like, right. Yeah. A, great point. That's another. And you maybe not wait, like, wait again until the sixth round, but uh, you got a, a good solid playmaker there in the sixth round. And now we'll find the day two version of Demario Douglas. Yeah. And, and I mean, everyone was just Roman Wilson, but anyway. At, yeah, Roman Wilson, Lad McConkey. You saw all these guys dominate the Senior Bowl. Ricky Pearsall. Like there are some really good players uh, in that range. So I, I'm kind of with you. Just Marvin Harrison is going to be an awesome player, and even like Roma Dunze and Malik Neighbors, those guys are going to be awesome. But it, it just I don't see it making sense for them at number three. I, I just I just really don't. Which uh, did you see? Uh, I think it was Lance Serlin on NFL.com his mock draft today. It was like Harrison and then trading up for Bo Nix, right? Yeah. Somebody had that. Maybe that was PFF. Somebody had that. It, that was that was his. But uh, it went Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels. And so then Drake May is on the board, and any of the offensive tackles are on the board, and the, he had the Patriots picking Marvin Harrison, which I would lose it. I, I would lose it at that point. But uh, that, that, that was his his mock. But as we just said, yeah, I don't, I'm down to wait until you know day two to – get a pick of the litter of those wide receivers and even double dip there, go quarterback, go tackle, then go pick two of those guys and double your chances there. Right. Yep. All right. Let's take another very short break here. We will hear from our friends over at LinkedIn jobs, talking about all these coaching jobs. And then we can end with a little bit of a Q and a. So if you guys want to start putting some questions there in the chat, we can maybe do, you know, 10 minutes of a Q and a, but first Alex, let's hear from LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business or this show is brought to you by LinkedIn talent solutions. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you want to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Uh, it can be a pain, right? Finding people for jobs, but LinkedIn jobs definitely makes it easy. It's not just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the very best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many qualified candidates. So easy, in fact 
that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. It's so easy. See how many easies are in there? They're right. So many easies. Two and a half million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beat, B-E-A-T. That's linkedin.com slash beat, B-E-A-T. To post your job for free, terms and conditions apply. All right, so I have to start with this one just to get your reaction. Wait, before we get to the questions, we gotta go real quick. Oh, I saw this. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Rex Burkhead retiring. Yes. Super underrated Patriot. Yeah, it, going through some of the clips today, and then some of the like you posted some like the Super Bowl run. Like I forgot yeah. about that one completely. Like a bunch of underrated plays. Obviously, he gets you know, the Kansas city touchdown to send them to the super bowl and the AFC championship gets a lot of play. I love the, the punt return. I posted that one of against the Steelers where he it's John Jones and then he keeps it in. And, and so he, he had a really underrated career here. He was, a, he was an awesome player for a good stretch of time. The one I didn't put uh, in my, I did like a recap of some of his most notable Patriots moments, but I left the one out because the guy just retired. I didn't want to pick on him. Uh, cutting Tom Brady's hand open the week of the 2017 <laughs> AFC championship game. Uh, but no, a uh, super underrated player was, was so good in that he gave them depth at both running back positions, early down back and passing down back uh, also helped them out on special teams. Just really gave them a guy, whatever they needed, they could fall back on. And late in the dynasty, when guys were getting older, they, they really, you know, it helped to have somebody like that. So great career, happy for him. I believe he's out of league last year, so kind of an unof- you know of making it official here at this point. But Patriots could use a player like that. Yeah. They could use a player like that this year. So we'll see. Also caught a touchdown pass from Jacoby Myers. He did. You're right. Yeah. So yeah. Aw- awesome career. Jacoby Myers, who the Patriots wouldn't pay the one extra million dollars to, <laughs> to bring back. He said our Felger Maz today. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. We can do a few minutes of questions. Answer what you guys got. Just. Jimmy G. Bridge no, no, I, I've been saying this since since 21. I've been saying this since we were trying to move on from Cam Newton. There's no reason to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back. Jacoby Brissett will give you everything you want in a, in a bridge quarterback, and he'll actually be the bridge. I would much rather have 17, and maybe he's not starting all 17 games. He'll be available. I'd much rather have 17 games of Jacoby Brissett than the 6 to 10 games you get a Jimmy Garoppolo before he gets hurt and benched. The whole point of a bridge quarterback is to start games in the meantime while you're getting to your next guy. Jimmy Garoppolo famously does not start a lot of games. Can't do it. It's an inability to get on the field. Hard pass. Yep. With you there. Uh, speaking of Rex Burkhead, pass catching running backs for draft. Got a look at some of these guys at the Senior Bowl. I mean, UNH, Dylan Labe is probably at the top of all of our lists. Yeah. Now, he had a really awesome week down there, uh, held up against some stronger competition, which is what you wanted to see coming from UNH. So he's a guy, I don't know, where do you think he worked his range up to? Like early fifth round, maybe? After that, but... what, what's Whatever the first pick the Patriots have in the in the fourth round is, it's going to be like 110, somewhere around there, depending on the comp picks. I don't think that's too early. Yeah. Some people might think it's too early, but th- they need this guy. He's a good player. He, he he fills a role for him. I I'd rather take him too early than get cute and miss him. Yeah, I, I I'd go up and get him. Um, some other guys. I thought Marshawn Lloyd from USC had a really good week, and uh, uh, blanking on the kid's name from uh, TCU. Oh, it was uh, was it he was, Bates? Like, no, I he was Bates. really good in the game. Uh, I'm thinking of Amari uh, Demarcado, but he was last year. Amani Bailey. That was Amani Bailey from TCU would be a good option too later on. Uh, what else we got? Any update on getting uh, an O-line coach? They, again, they targeted Andy Dickerson. That came out like right after the Alex Van Pelt hire. Uh, haven't heard of any other name since then. So kind of still waiting on that O-line coach. Um, yeah. I just look for people who work for the Packers. <laughs> that simple. Just keep reading through all those old staffs and you'll see what they got. Uh, all right. What else do we got here? Um, Lad McConkey is an interesting one. He'll go on day two. 
it's going to be interesting to see. I could see him going 50. I could see him going 90 at this point. There's just so much talent at that wide receiver position. What do guys want? What are they valuing? So yeah. he's he could go in a couple different places there. The PFF simulator is very high on him. Like they have him going end of the first round uh, sometimes like the, the chiefs right right in those late late 30 picks so I, yeah. I don't know if he'll get that high but um yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's going in the second round um i saw some other stuff uh i yeah i, I liked rasheen ali for marshall too but he got hurt maybe as a udfa i wouldn't draft him um who has a better chance of being on the roster mac jones or bailey zappy i still think it's mac jones just because of the first round pick investment that it holds weight as it's going to annoy people, but that's the reality of it. You you draft a guy with the, in the first round, you're drafting a guy high. You're going to give him as more chances than a guy you drafted later. That's again, why I wouldn't take a quarterback in the second round because you clearly don't believe in him that much, but you're investing a premium asset on him, and you need to actually take time to see that asset through. Uh, how about Baker? I assume you would have to overpay for him. I still don't think he gets out of Tampa, as we talked about. And, yeah. and there was a re- who reported over the weekend or recently that he wanted like forty million a year. Yeah, he's gonna get franchise tagged. I yeah. I would take him. I would I give him. You know, I don't know. I'd give him forty, but I'd pay him decent money. Like he's proven he's a starting caliber quarterback. I just I don't think he's getting out of Tampa. I'm not. This is, this is, I mean, and it's not to say they're the same player. Obviously Lamar is a much better, much better player, but this is the Lamar Jackson thing from last year where everybody thought they had this great, Oh no, they'll sign Lamar Jackson. You know, it makes projecting the off season a lot easier when you get that guy, they were never signing Lamar Jackson. He was never leaving Baltimore. Yes. You you can make the off season a lot more neat and tidy when you project Baker at quarterback. And maybe that's fun to do. He's not getting out of Tampa. He's not. What about, to the draft quarterbacks, Spencer Rattler, QB four. He had a really good no. week down there, but I think QB four is probably a little too four high. Too high. Rattler. Look, there's still concerns about his size. There's still concerns about his mental makeup. Those weren't going to get, you know, shaken at the senior bowl. Uh, he's still, he had a good week, but you've still got to look at the tape and the full body of work. And I thought he did a good job of throwing the ball he got some help and he's, he still makes some questionable decisions. He's made questionable decisions throughout the season. You didn't see a ton of them at the senior bowl, which is good. That's progress, but you, that doesn't mean you can throw everything he did before out. Yep. Uh, any whispers about replacing senior bowl coach, Troy Brown, he's not under contract. So we'll see. We, we haven't heard again, go look at former Packers wide receivers, coaches and, I think there's one, uh, his name's like David Ra. He's on the Bucks. He's like an offensive analyst on the Bucks. He used to coach receivers, and I think he went through Green Bay at one point. So that was just one name I found going through these guys that maybe could be a receivers coach or join the staff. But, yeah, that's where we're kind of at with, with Troy Brown. Um, draft question, grab a quarterback at three, then move up for neighbors, similar to the Texans last year. Uh, I mean, Houston was able to do that because they had a – the 12th overall pick they had another first rounder so you have right. to give up your first rounder next year and then maybe 34 and maybe even more at that point yeah that's so you're, you're tight there's too many holes in the too many holes in the roster you need more picks um available to you like the, the texans roster was a little bit closer that was kind of a this is our final year of a rebuild thing more than anything else yep. um good receivers in the second round boy where do i even start right uh A.D. Mitchell, Jalen Polk, Xavier Worthy, Xavier Leggett. I think Roman Wilson and Ricky Pierce all end up, you know, flirting second round, maybe early third round picks. There's so many good options, I think. in the, I think that is the sweet spot to take a receiver. Now, in my first mock draft of the year, which I'll be publishing on Monday, I may not take a receiver in that range. Doesn't mean I don't take a pass catcher. But, man, there's so many, so many good day two receivers. And I know that says second round, but... There's some guys that are going on the third round. Johnny Wilson, Braylon Trice, uh, not Braylon Trice, it's the uh, end guy, uh, uh, Braylon Rice from USC. Those guys are second round picks, if not late first round picks some years. So like day two, that's the sweet spot to go get a receiver. Yep. Should the Pats draft a new kicker? We saw no. Will Reichard in the senior bowl and then uh, Hardy from stanford i'm blanking on his first name he, Cardi, he, yeah it's like josh Cardi. josh Cardi, that that's it right but uh 
Yeah, we, we've talked about this a little bit. I don't think they have the the draft capital and just right. so many other needs to use another spot on a kicker. Signing a veteran to come in and just you know go through camp with Ryland and and see how that shakes out. Yes, that should be on the on the right. table. But I don't think about drafting one right now. Yeah, they should bring in another kicker for competition. Look, if like Harrison Mevis falls to you with the seventh round pick, I, sure, whatever. Uh, not in the top 200. But you do need, at the same time, you need to bring in, whether it's a UDFA, whether it's a veteran, maybe it's both. Bring three kickers in a camp. Why not? <laughs> open open competition. Open competition for a kicker next year. I, I truly think that. Uh, what would I accept in a trade for the Patriots to take Evan as the play call? I don't know what I'm <laughs> trading. I, I, I don't. Who Evan would you trade? Mind to trade. Uh, that would be great. That would be excellent. I would really go all in on every little mistake. Uh, not that I don't try to do that anyway, but um, I, yeah, that would be fun. the the the, the get, Zoom calls, the press conferences would be fun. Do you get like a coach to host the podcast with you, or like how do you what do you trade? I would assume for? he wouldn't be he wouldn't be on the podcast anymore. Uh, yeah. But I th- those press conferences would basically turn into a podcast. With <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Uh. Not really a question, but Hightower is coming. They do need a linebackers coach. Gerard Mayo has said before he tried to recruit him, and I think Hightower showed some interest. And Jamie Collins on social media. So I don't know. They also interviewed you know, Michael Hodges from the Saints, who's a linebackers coach who worked with Demarcus Covington you know, uh, multiple years ago at the collegiate level. They interviewed Tem Lukabu, who's a linebackers coach for Carolina. So that's a position they'll need to fill. With Gerard, yeah. obviously a head coach, and Steve out, so uh, we'll kind of see what they go with there. I, I, I mean, I'd love, I always love when former players come back. So if High Tower, Jamie Collins, that 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 would be awesome. But uh, what about that tight end spot, Dalton Schultz in free agency? Does he interest you at all? Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I'd like to get somebody more. He he's kind of Hunter Henryish, or like he's a more pure receiver. I want him to get a more well-rounded tight end, but he's a good player. I wouldn't say no. Yep. I like Dolly Schultz, but yeah, we'll see. I don't know how much he'd command because it's probably him and Hunter Henry as the top two guys. Uh, let's go two more here. You said Baker Mayfield won't leave Tampa. Do you think they let Mike Evans out of the building? And would well, you Baker, sign would you sign him if he's available? Baker said he wants Mike Evans back. So this is where if I'm Tampa and I have to choose one of the two, choosing Baker. I can take, take the quarterback every time. I do think it's... I ultimately think Evans ends up in Tampa. I think it's more realistic that he ends up elsewhere than Baker does. I think there, there's a more real chance that he he's in play than Baker's in play. I also think, you know, maybe you could trade for Mike Evans. Maybe they don't want to lose him for nothing. Maybe they sign him to, to trade him or to franchise tag him to trade him or something like that. Yep. Uh, last one, because there was a little bit of news about this, too, over the weekend. Do you think we're bringing yeah. Kendrick Bourne back? He talked to Mike Reese. He said he was interested in coming back, but, again, he acknowledges it, it's a business. I think he said he was ahead of schedule on his ACL rehab, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would. I think we're both big fans of Kendrick Bourne, and, and I'd take him back. But, yeah, it's a business. So, and where are they, you know, what are they drafting? What are they adding elsewhere? Like, we'll kind of wait, wait and see there. Look, I think if you can get him on like a one-year incentive deal, yeah, bring him back. I mean, I'm not opposed to having him in the building, but I don't think you can plan on a guy that just tore his ACL to have a major role. That's with most players outside of like a handful of true stars, and I I wouldn't let that prevent me from drafting a wide receiver or anything like that. But I, I, I'd i be happy if Bourne was on the roster start next year and you see where he's at, and if he's great, great. If not, you have another plan in place. Uh, anyway, you can't have too many good wide receivers. Yep. And every There's year some... we trick ourselves at the start of camp. Thing. This is great. We many. didn't have enough wide receivers. And now look at this. Like we've done that the last three or four years. So maybe he's a part of that this year, but I, I, I'd bring him back for the right part. I wouldn't. Now he may come out and say, look, I had a really good eight games last year and I want to be paid off of that. That's where I, I, I might pull away a little bit just because you don't know where his knees at and he is get, you know, I think he's 29 now. Right. So yeah. wide receivers, more often than not, the, the data supports, they drop off hard at the age of 30 and he'll turn 29 in August. So I don't know that I give him more than a one-year deal, but that being said, I'm not a no to him coming back. Yep. There's something about surrounding a rookie quarterback with 
you know, reliable pass catchers. And yeah. Kendrick Bourne in a you know high energy. That was one of the first things Gerard Mayo pointed to when he said, like, how are you going to get this offense back on track? He said high energy, and that's obviously Kendrick Bourne. So I think you know he'd be a good guy to obviously keep around, but again, it comes down to price and how the knee is and all that. So we'll kind of see with that. But we will wrap it up there. We will be back on Thursday to talk about anything else that comes out over the next few days. Maybe do uh, some few more questions. I see there are some we didn't get to, but in the meantime, you can follow Alex on Twitter at RealAlexBarth. Head over to 985thesportsub.com to read all his coverage. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Brian Hines. Head to patspulpit.com to read my work. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in.